Ah, look, your pastors are wonderful people. And uh, he's been, he's spoken in our church in one of our key campuses in a place called Brisbane. We call it Brisbane. You're from Brisbane? Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Just you and me. No one else will understand me. It's okay. So it's great. But, uh, and we had a great time with, uh, with him in Brisbane. And uh, you call it Brisbane is when everyone I talk to Americans say, hey, I went to Brisbane or something like that anyway. Uh, Australians, we tend to, as you might have noticed, if you know anyone from Australia, we tend to drop all our uh, vowels. And so we don't say anything with vowels. So it's, we don't say Australia. We say Australia. And, uh, and other strange isms like that. You, uh, of course, made our Crocodile Man favourites and uh, Steve Irwin and uh, he was uh, one of the most loved people here and, uh, and back home and, uh, of course, when he died, it was a great shock to us and it was a great shock to you and we were amazed at the influence that Australia has actually had across the world in the strangest possible ways with crocodiles, through the music, through our church. Uh, we were on a cruise and we were talking to some people on the cruise and, and uh, they were saying that they, we found out they were church people, they loved the Lord and, and they said, what church do you go to? And we said, Hillsong Church and she just looked at me and, and uh, my wife Sandy said, oh, that's, you know, the shout to the Lord church. Oh, why didn't you say so? So uh, it's just we haven't sung shout to the Lord for 15 years, so um, <laughs> we forget it. But uh, it's been a great pleasure to be in your country. It's a great pleasure to be in your first service. Uh, we have uh, been on vacation. We, uh, my wife Sandy and I, we have two children. We have two boys. One's 19 and one's four. I know. You look at me and you go, you're too young to have a 19-year-old. And I said, that's so true. And uh, praise the Lord. So uh, we're going to have a great time together. We're going to hopefully learn. Uh, Holy Spirit's going to speak to us. That's been my prayer. Uh, you know, whenever we meet together, the Bible says that he is in the midst of us. God is in the midst of us. And so this morning, as we've been worshipping, as we've been opening our hearts, it's my prayer that you and I will continue to open our hearts to hear from him. The Holy Spirit will bring revelation and bring his word to life within us so that we can leave this place more equipped, more empowered to represent and to be who we are called to be on this planet, the people of God. We're called to make a difference. We're called not to just breathe oxygen. We're not here just waiting for Jesus' return. We're here to live life. We're here to make an impact. We're here to actually be the people of God. And here in this community, you're called to make an impact in this community, to live life, that your families and your life would truly make a difference in those lives and all the people around you. And here already this morning, we heard of one of the lives that was changed through your influence and what you together are doing as a church. And I was really encouraged by that. In fact, I loved her role because that was one of the first roles that I actually had when I started at Hillsong Church and so I didn't get fired so uh, if I didn't and I didn't do a good job I don't think um, you will do well Alicia is it yeah where is she she's been raptured and we've been left behind is that what's happening <laughs> I'm going to do a different message from the first message and so if you were here in the first message and you wanted to hear it again by the CD I'm sure they've got it out the back um but I want to I want to talk uh, on Luke 15. I want to talk on a very very well known series of uh, parables that Jesus did, and I want to focus on one particular person in that parable. And so, if you get got your Bibles, go to Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 15, and we'll hear it together. You got it there, Luke 15, verse one. Can you understand my accent? So I should say g'day, 
Isn't that what we're supposed to do? G'day. In fact, it's, it's funny. I was talking on the phone to your pastor, Aaron, and, and, I was at, and I'm like, oh, mate, that's great. And this woman who was, you know, standing next to me said, oh, that's so amazing. Oh, we don't speak like that at all. I'm like, you shouldn't be listening to my phone call. She could probably say, well, why are you speaking in front of me? But anyway. Uh, we are, you know, we are from a land down under. It is upside down. We, we are coming into the best season. It is springtime. We are coming into uh, the amazing summer and Christmas day. We are going to have barbecues on the beach. We are going to be swimming. We're going to have wonderful time. We're going to sing chestnuts roasted on an open fire or whatever it is. We haven't got a clue what that means, but we like the tune. Isn't that right? You know, chestnuts roasting on an open fire. We're thinking, what's a chestnut? <laughs> the only thing that's on the fire is the barbecue, so I'm sure there's something happening. So we have, I look after our Bible college in uh, Sydney, and uh, it is the Hillsong College of all of Hillsong. We have, as Aaron said, the campuses across the world, and we have at the moment 400 different uh, Americans on campus there. And uh, we could listen to your phone calls too, um, if you answer that. Um, <laughs> but um, don't worry, I've done it too. Um, but, uh, you know, we, uh, we, we, we've got lots of Americans over there, so Thanksgiving is coming up and we're going to celebrate that and all sorts of things are going to be going on. And so um, they all, all our American friends over there say, it just doesn't feel like Christmas. And uh, so one day we're going to have a Christmas in America, a Christmas in the Northern Hemisphere and see what you mean and we'll go, it doesn't feel like Christmas. Verse 1, by this time a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation, this is the message translation, I love that, of doubtful reputation, isn't that funny? I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it, of doubtful reputation, I think he could say that about all of us. A lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus. I love that about Jesus. I love the fact that people were attracted to Jesus of every character, from the ups to the downs to the doubtful characters to the religious people to the non-religious people. Jesus was always attractive to people. And the Bible tells us that he wasn't, he wasn't a super attractive man necessarily. There's no indication that he was extremely good looking or there was anything like that. It was his attitude and the way in which he did life that made him so attractive. And as you and I, I talked in the first services about being image of Jesus, about representing Jesus as well, as Jesus well, you and I need to start to think and ask ourselves, how attractive are we to people? Attractive's got nothing to do with what you look like. Attractive's actually got more to do about who you are and what's happening on the inside and the way in which you do life. And, uh, and so I, I love the fact that people, children, through to every age group were attracted to Jesus. Anyway, in verse, and it says they were listening intently. And in verse 2, it says the Pharisees and religious, religion scholars were not pleased. Not at all pleased. I love that. Not pleased. Not happy. Not happy, Jan. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them. By the way, that was for you in the front row. And uh, it's a little Australian in-joke. Um, he takes in sinners and eats meals with them. Now, why is that so important? Because when you ate a meal with someone, it was, in fact, you were colluding with them. It meant that you were accepting them. And so when you had a meal, especially in this culture, it was very, uh, it was very important. It, it symbolized an awful lot of connection and so on. And Jesus took people and he restored their dignity and he restored their hope and he gave them 
a, a whole life worth living. Do you, do you understand me? You're, you're following along with that? So that's why the religious people weren't happy because these were people of doubtful reputation. These were people that shouldn't be eating with Jesus according to them, but they were actually part of the human race which Jesus loved. And so Jesus reached out to every people group. And I love that about church. I love that about our church back home. We have all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds all coming together. And it's the one place where you can find people from every strata of life together. It's one place where, where all sorts of people, all backgrounds, all types of people can come together and find connection and find home and find family amongst themselves in this place. Does that make sense? Yes. Well, one of you thought that was good. I'm pleased. Pleased to hear that. I, I, I get excited about it. You have to excuse my sense of humour. Um, anyway, they were not pleased at all. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them and treats them like old friends. Now, it's in that context that Jesus then gave three parables. There were three parables that hopefully you know about. It's the parable of the, the lost uh, coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and then the parable we often call of the lost son. Now, it's the parable of the lost son I want to focus on, but it's actually not a parable about a lost son. It's a parable about a lost two sons because there were two sons in the story and both of them are lost. And what makes it incredibly important about this story is that the two people represent the two groups of people that were with Jesus at the time he told the parable. At the time he told the parable, there were the religious people who were involved in church life, as it were, who were involved in religious. They were saying that they loved God. They were saying they represented the Father. They were saying a whole lot of things. And then there was the young son who was the doubtful reputation sort of person. He hang around the wrong people. He had the wrong friends around his life. And so he went off and went into wild living. You, you know the story? If you've been reading your Bible, you hopefully would have come across these three parables and then the, the third parable, which is the, the prodigal son or the prodigal sons and the two sons in there. The father, representing God in this story, were, was there. And by the way, I love the fact that this story, some commentators say that this actually was a very well-known parable at the time. It was the fact that when you would speak a parable about this was actually to try and help people not become the prodigal son who took off and went to wild living. It was to tell the story where the son would go off and be, spend the father's inheritance and lose it on wild living and so on. And it was as if the son was dead to the father. And most commentators say that at the end of the story, in normal circumstances, that prodigal son, the one that went off for the wild living, when he came back home would have been rejected. So can you imagine here the people that are in, this, in that gathering with Jesus, that when they were coming back, when this prodigal son comes back, the, the, the religious people are like, he's going to get it now. He's going to get it. Finally, Jesus is finally, he's going to give it to them. Finally, Jesus is going to, finally, finally, he's going to give these people what they deserved. But instead, Jesus turns that story on its head and he, and he restores the son and gives the son dignity and hope. And what is really interesting about this story is that he does not end the, or give the ending for the second son. And it's the second son that I want to focus a little bit on this morning because it's the second son that I think you and I sometimes can be like. I think it's the second son that sometimes some of the attitudes that the second son have can creep into our lives. It's the attitudes that, that can actually take us and separate us from the blessing of God. Do you know God is always interested in blessing us? 
In Ephesians, it says he is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ever ask, hope or think. In Psalms, he talks about goodness and mercy following me all the days of my life. Isn't that an amazing thought? Goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life. They're just here. They're just around me. They're coming. They're coming. Goodness and mercy. I might not see them right now. They're like those little yappy dogs around your feet. You ever seen those little yappy dogs? There's goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy. Goodness. They're, around, they're just coming. And if they're not, if you're not looking at them, you're not, uh, if you don't see them, they can trip you up because goodness and mercy is, is following me all the days of my life. All of a sudden, oh, I'm falling into goodness and mercy. That's the reality of life. That's, that's actually the life God has for you. You say, well, it doesn't seem like it sometimes to me. It just doesn't mean you haven't fallen into the goodness and mercy that's coming just yet. But it's on its way because you're blessed. Blessed is the man, favoured, to be envied. God is on your side. He's not there with a baseball bat waiting for you to make that wrong turn. You made that wrong turn, poof, there, gotcha. I don't know where people, I don't know where you find that in the Bible. You don't find that. Jesus never did that. Jesus always embraced people, restored people, gave them hope, gave them dignity, and gave them life. And it was in that that their lives were transformed. Okay, is that okay? That's good. I know, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm, I think I might take notes. After that, after that introduction, I thought, man, I've got to do something. I mean, good grief. Well... I want, us to, I want us to think about this little passage, and I want us to think about the second son. And I need, we need to go back to the Bible, go back to this passage, and keep reading on and see what happens, all right? So you know the story. So first of all, the first son, he goes out, he asks his father for inheritance. I love that about the first son. He asks his father for an inheritance, and his father hasn't even died yet. And what's really neat is his father says, okay. Like, I want that father. Well, we have that father because he represents God. He wants to give us an inheritance even before our time. I get excited. Sorry, I'm getting excited. I'm off the track. I'm Australian. I'm sorry. I'll calm down now. I'll, be, I'll turn to English. Any English amongst us? Good. <laughs> I did notice there were some New Zealanders amongst us, but I think they're gone. They're here. See? See, they don't identify themselves much except when they win the rugby. <laughs> Stop getting me off the track. Come on, focus. We're on the Bible. Okay, the parable of the last song. Now, let's go to verse 11 of that same thing. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. Verse 12, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. I love that. Not long after that, the young son got up together all he had and he went off and squandered and so on and so on and so forth. Now, in verse, uh, uh, in verse 21, it says, Now this, the, the son said to him, this is the younger son coming back home, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. All very symbolic uh, gestures that the father was talking about there. Bring out the fattened calf, and that's even more symbolic, and kill it. And let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and is now found. Now, so they begin to celebrate. In verse 25, meanwhile, back at the ranch, here we go. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Oh, I love that thought. Sorry. I know. Christians were supposed to be. 
So he called on one of the servants and asked him what is going on. Your brother has come, he replied. Your father has killed a fat and calf. You know, I find people, see, I, I, I teach in the Bible college. I find people who read the Bible a bit like this in Australia. Your brother has come, he replied. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he has had him back safe and sound. I'm like, what is wrong? I mean, could you imagine? This is an exciting time. I mean, this is like the son that was lost is now found. This is not. And the son that was lost, found. Yay. <laughs> anyway. Well, 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 your brother has come, Israel. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. Look at verse 28. You think the brother would be excited, but no, it says this. The older brother became very angry and refused to go in. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered the father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never gave, uh, um, and you never, and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered all your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again, but he was lost and now is found. Now, there's two sons in this story who grew up with the same father. These two sons had very different views of what the father was really like. And I find that's true in our own lives. These, that in our own lives, within church life, that we can have a different view about what the father's really like. And that's fine, provided it actually is biblical. It actually is what the father is really like. And both these sons had a view of what the father was like that actually wasn't true that was actually out of sync, that actually caused them to behave in a manner that actually robbed them from the blessing that the father wanted to give them. Because remember, the goal of the father was to bless his children, was to give them an inheritance, was to give them a future, was to give them a hope. He, the goal of the father was to set them up for life. That's the context. That's where we're coming from. When we're looking through the Bible, we need to keep that in mind. And so here we find these two sons who grew up in the same family, in the same place, but had two different views of what the father was like. And both of them needed an attitude and a view adjustment, as Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, that we've got to renew our thinking and change the way we see things. And so I think what we have to do here is to think about this older son. Why was the older son, why did he behave in the way he behaved? The younger son comes back home and the younger son gets his life together, gets his attitude sorted out. But the older son who stayed faithful, did all the right things, actually ended up outside the blessing of God. So what caused that and why? So here's some thoughts that I have on that. All right, you with me on it? If you've got a pen, you can write this one down. He became, the older son became task driven, not heart driven. And that comes from verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was out in the field. He was actually doing the job. He was doing what the younger son should have done. Now, could you imagine how that would work out in life? I don't know whether you come from a family where the younger son gets away with everything. I'm one of the younger sons. And uh, the younger son, you know, you always hear from the older sons, you always hear, you never let, you never let me do that. Any younger people here, younger sons here? Any older ones here? You want to just, you know, let's share with the brothers and the sisters here. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. 
You know what I'm saying? When you grew up in that family situation, you tend to, the older one is the test guinea pig. You know what I mean? They break them in for us. You know, so our youngest son, we've got a few years. I tell our older son, the reason we have a younger son is because it took 14 years to get over you. And <laughs> it's not really, but it's fun to say. But the reality is in life is that here we find, we find this whole thing about the youngest son actually stopped doing what he should be doing, but the older son kept doing the things that he should be doing, but he did them with the wrong heart attitude. He did them out of, well, this is what has to happen. He didn't do them out of a heart of gratefulness, out of a heart of joy, out of a heart of seeing a bigger picture. He did them all through that, that, that hard, harsh, well, this is what has to happen and nobody wants to listen to me and I have to do this and nobody else is doing it with me and that younger brother of mine, he's off you know, squandering all the money and I have to do it. Do you know what? I've discovered about my own life that I actually can become like that older brother. That in church life, see, I've been around church life for a long time. We, we say to all our new students when they come in, we are going to give you lots of opportunity for ministry. It's called chair moving. It's called cleaning. It's called stuff that's hard work. Because it has to happen. And that really is Ministry. That really is what life is partly all about. There is stuff that has to happen. If you have children, you have to clean up after them. If you have children, that children don't come and do everything right. Have you noticed that? If you haven't noticed that, please come and talk to me afterwards and tell me how it's done because I'd like to know. Do you understand what I'm saying? And in church life, if you've been around church life for a long time, you would have been doing life in church for a long time. It can be just come a chore. And so what people tend to do is, is, well, I'm not going to do that anymore and stop doing it. And that's the wrong result. Or they can get bitter and hard in how they do life. Does that make sense? See, in our life, in our church life and where we're at in life, and I know in my own life, one of the things, I started off as a school teacher. You might have guessed. And I, I can remember sitting around the staff room and I can remember hearing some of the staff say, you know, school would be a great place if we didn't have children. <laughs> and uh, there was a part of me that agreed with them because it was stressful when they turned up again, you know what I mean? I mean, they turned up and they'd make mess and they went to as they're told and <laughs> holidays were great fun to look forward to. And that's true in life. It's true in church life. The reality of life is that when we're about the Father's business, there's stuff that has to happen. There's, there's all sorts of things that have to come together to make church life work, to make family work. But we have to do it and recognize we need to do it with an attitude of grace, an attitude of thankfulness, and an attitude that remembers what it's all about. It's actually about seeing lives change, to see our life move into blessing, to see our life increase, to see God's plan and purpose come and do amazing things in people's lives. Does that make sense? It's so easy to become task-driven in life. I know because I've been there. It's so easy to lose the why behind what we're doing. I know because I've been there. It's so easy just to allow things that we do for God to be things that we do for God rather than hard attitudes that we do because of how much we love God. Does that make sense? I think that's what happened with this younger, older brother. And I think that's why he had the attitude and why he ended up being outside the blessing of, of God. All right, so 
Here's the second thing. Is this okay? Two people again. That's good. I'll keep going for you too. Is it okay? Because I know I need to hear this over and over again because I find in life there's this law where in physics that talks about entropy. It says that things go to disorder, not order. Naturally speaking, we will, if we don't adjust our thinking, we will actually end up losing what the blessing of God is meant to be on our life. And that's what happened to this, this younger son. Here's the second thing I see, is that this guy was stingy. He wasn't generous. Is that a word over here, stingy? Is it, do you use that in America? Stingy. I thought that might have been just an Australian word. I, um, it's in verse 11 and 12. It says, Jesus continued. There was a man who had son, two sons, and the younger one said to his father, give, my, uh, give me my share of the estate. So listen to this part. So his father did what? Divided his property to the younger one. No, he divided his property among both of them. So according to the story, both sons got their inheritance, right? In verse 29, it goes, this, goes on like this. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. And you never gave me, and I've never disobeyed your orders. And yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Well, who owns all the young goats? This guy. The father would have still had some things going on but what did he want he wanted daddy to keep paying even though he had the inheritance isn't that interesting daddy you got to keep doing god you got to keep providing for this thing even though i actually am part of god's uh solution for provision i, I think sometimes often as christians we want god to keep providing when god says hey we want i want your life to to increase so that i can use you to be part of the answer and so often, you know, when we think about prosperity, often we think about, well, we want more for us four and no more. I think that's very strange. God, just give me enough so I can survive. That's not a great solution because the world is desperate. The world actually needs more than what I currently earn. And if it's just about me and what is coming into my life and just to meet my needs, then I actually don't understand who I really am I'm meant to actually believe God to have a liberality food to eat and seed to sow as Paul put it that's what I got to believe God for I got to believe God that my life will increase so that I can make an impact and a difference to those around me but this guy didn't want to do that. He, was, he wasn't generous. He was stingy. He wanted it all for him and he wanted to keep his goats and keep it all. You didn't give it for me and my friends. I, I never seemed to get the blessing. I never seemed to have it. But he had everything he needed to actually be generous in his hand. Isn't that amazing? And isn't that true of you and I? So often in, when, when it comes to generosity, whether it's <clears throat> of our words or of our actions or of our finances, so often we want God to come down and do it instead of us, the people who represent God, to actually do it. That's a subtle difference, isn't it? But that's the way God wants to work. <coughs> Excuse me. Been on vacation too long. Do you know what I'm saying? 
God is wanting to use you and he wants to use me. He wants to actually come and work through our lives. I'm always amazed in the book of Acts. Have you ever read the book of Acts when, when here's, here's the apostle Paul, who wasn't Paul, his name was Saul, was going along. If that doesn't confuse you, nothing will. So Saul's going along the road and all of a sudden there's a voice out of heaven. He's knocked to the ground and there's a voice. It's Jesus himself speaking to him. You're like, I mean, you get the drift. I mean, it's Jesus. You know. Hello, Saul. It's me, Jesus. You know, that sort of thing going on. And what does he tell Saul to do? You think he would say, get up because here's the five steps that I need you to do right now. Step one, step two, step. He doesn't say that at all. He says, get up and go and talk to Simon and he'll tell you what I've told him to tell you to do. Well, that's like Chinese whispers. I mean, that's not a good plan. I mean, God, you've got a problem. I mean, that's just, what is wrong with you, God? You know what I'm saying? See, God wants to use you. He doesn't want to do it by himself. God is communal. He loves doing it in and through you. And through you, he touches other people. That's what it's all about. But this son didn't realize it. And you know who Jesus is talking to? The religious people. They weren't bad people. They'd just been around too long and they'd just forgotten what they were really meant to be like. And here they were meant to be reaching out to these same people that Jesus is reaching out to, but instead they were withholding. Does that make sense? Well, I think we need to be a generous people. I think God wants us to be people like the Father who reaches out to all types of people. And that's the message of this particular point that I'm making. And this is the, the deal is that this guy in this story had lost that thinking and actually ended up being stingy about life. He refused to be generous in his words generous in his actions generous in his deeds and as a result of that he ended up not understanding what the father was all about Winston Churchill once said this we make a living by what we get but we make a life by what we give do you know how to find out whether or not where you're at in that is to ask someone around you listen to the words that you say if your words are more negative than they are positive chances are we need to do an adjustment Here's the third thing that I see. He was deceived and not free at all. We read in that passage in verse 29, it says this, but he answered the father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and you never disobeyed your orders. Do you know I find that hard to believe to start with? Never disobeyed your orders. Daddy, I have never done anything wrong. Come on. All right, let's just take it for what it is. But let's look at the first part. I've been slaving for you. Whose inheritance does he have now? It's his. What's he actually doing? He's working his fields. He's working his sheep. He's working his cattle. It's all his. But what does he say? Oh, it's all yours. I've been slaving for you. It wasn't about him at all. It was all about him. Not him, capital him, but it was him, little him. You know what I'm saying? So here's a guy that actually thought that he was actually doing everything God wanted him to do, but he was actually not true at all. Why? Because he had just shifted in his thinking. He thought, he forgot it was about him, the big H, not him, the little H. Our lives are not meant to be truly all about us. Someone wrapped up in themselves makes a very small package. I think it was Confucius that once said that. Not that I often listen to Confucius, but it just sounds good. It was one that I used, so it was good. 
People like that have a rule for themselves and not for other people. They have a, the harder, harsh rule for everybody else. People like that uh, just have a different way of seeing it and blame everybody else. Because look at what he goes on to say. He says, you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. I'm sure the father would have said, look, you've got 50 of them yourself. And then the next thing I notice about this, he says, but when this son of yours. Ah, that's an interesting attitude, isn't it? This son of yours. It, he never says, and when my brother, when my family. See, he's living a deceived life. Hey, in church life, we can end up losing the plot sometimes when we begin to fight amongst ourselves. When we begin to, I know because I've been there for a long time. Is that? Am I the only one that's been there for a long time? Let's close our eyes, our bow our heads. No, I don't, I don't like everybody in our church. I know, I know. But I have to love them. I have to be committed to them. Not everybody you're going to love in that sense, like in that sense, but you've got to love everybody. I, my family... I didn't choose them. <laughs> I got put with them. Now, I can disown them as much as I like, but they're my family. And it's the same with you and I. Sometimes as Christians, we disown people. We're like, the son of yours, God. It's your fault, God. Do something. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And God says, well, what are you going to do? What are you doing about it? Notice it was the father that was waiting for the brother to return. What was the other son doing? Lousy brother of mine doesn't ever work. Isn't that interesting? The reality was that he was trying to give this understanding. Listen, we can all become religious. It creeps up on us. The spirit of religion that creeps up on us all the time, you actually have to be actively working against it. Because it wants to own us. This thing that wants to cause us to be dry and harsh and hard people. It really loves to want to own us. And we actually have to make a choice to not live out of that, but to live out of who we really are and what we're really all about. All right. I better hurry up. So they said that I can go as long as I like, but you're going to leave. Here's the fourth thing I see. He isolated himself. So, <laughs> I love this. The older brother became very angry and he what? Refused to go in. Which, by the way, what did he just say about his father? I've always done everything you've said. When his father said, will you come in? No! <laughs> Isn't that funny? The father's going, please, please come in. The son's saying, no, I'm always doing what you've said, always, always. And now you're asking me to do this, it's too much. <laughs> I think this son isolated himself from people. And he isolated himself from an attitude of people with the attitude in the heart of the father. Do you know, I think, I think there are times that God works in our lives to cause us to deal with some of the attitudes of our lives. I think God is always on the attitude hunt. Stuff is going on around us, not necessarily that God has brought it there, but God goes, ah, here's an opportunity to deal with this little attitude that's blocking them from blessing 101. That's the heart. 
It's not God's going, I'm just waiting for that opportunity when I can get you suckers. Blah, got them. <laughs> That's the religious mindset. But the, the God's mindset is, it, that I see here is that God's going, I want to bless them. I want to give them inheritance. I want to pour blessing out upon their life. Hey, there's an attitude. Let's, let's work on that attitude, Gabriel. This is going to be so fun. Watch this. This is going to be we're like, Nyang. and God's going, this is going to be good. Why? Because when we get the breakthrough, blessing comes. When we change our heart and our attitude, ah, oh, the abundance of heaven comes into our life. And, we, and, we, and we're like, wow, this is incredible. And God is trying to get the attention of our religious people and our, the religious spirit that comes across us. But religious people, when that spirit comes upon us, we isolate ourselves from other people. Too many times I've heard people say, everybody is saying this. Have your children ever done that to you? Here's a question to ask. Who is everybody? Well, it's normally us four, if you're really, really everybody. But out of that, it's normally two or three. And normally, when it's children, it's just me. It's like, everybody's doing it, Dad. Well, who? Who? Who's doing it? Uh, well, I don't know, but I want to. But you know, that's actually what happens is that when you isolate yourself from the people of God, from people who love God, from people who have the right attitude, that's what happens. The religious spirit says, let's isolate ourselves from, let's not listen to that, let's stop being a part of that, let's cut ourselves off. And that's what that son did. So that when, when, the, fatty, when the, the, uh, the younger son came home, the older son just didn't want to connect anymore. He's like, I don't, I don't want to be a part of that. You're too happy clappy. You sing those songs too loud. Turn the volume down. How many times have I got to tell you? Now, I go to a church where we have new songs every week. I can't keep up with them. They're too many words. But I've made a choice that actually life is not about my comfort. It's actually about his purpose. So it's actually not about whether or not I really like the songs or don't like the songs or whether I like this or don't like I can love everything. It's an attitude and a choice I need to make. Isolation only ever leads to pain. So many people want to live outside the body. So many people want to... They love... I meet people who... I love Jesus, but I hate his church. That's like saying to me, I love you, but I can't stand your wife. It's not going to get you far. <laughs> Isn't it true? It's true. But it's an isolation spirit, and it's actually the spirit of religion that we've actually got to drive off our lives. Well, this parable ends very abruptly. It, it is just an amazing ending in this parable. In verse 31, it says, My son, the father said to you... Oh, by the way, can I point this out? That this older son didn't actually understand joy and celebration. Do you know how I know that? Because he said, what's going on? They said, it's a party. And now, party, P-A-R-T-Y, not, I know, my accent. <laughs> God actually loves having a P-A-R-T-Y. God loves to party. I know parody. How do you say it? I don't know. We say party, which to you sounds like potty or something or other. I don't know. He doesn't love the potty, okay? He loves a party, okay? 
party. I don't know how to say it. He, he loves, loves to party, whatever that is, you know. All right. So how do you say it? We like to party. Party. There you go. So anyway, so God loves to do that stuff, all right? So, so now the younger son, when there was a party going on, he's like, what's that? Everybody else was into it. He's like, is that smoke and mirrors? Is that flashing lights? I can't be God. Do you know, God loves to party. Do you know there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents, the Bible says, than over 99 righteous. There's a lot of joy and stuff going on in heaven. Have you ever read Revelation? It's very, very noisy. (laughs) Bring your earplugs to heaven. Have them inserted when you die. I don't know what you need to do because it's an ex- it is so noisy. There are crowns being down the people. Hey, oh, stuff going on and God is great and all the angels are singing everything. It is noisy because God actually loves celebration and he loves the spirit of celebration. Well, the, son ends abru- the parable ends abruptly. It says, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because th- this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. He ends the parable. He doesn't say what the brother did. Why does he do that? Because he's looking for the religious people to make an attitude adjustment in their life. And I think that's the same for you and for me. I think we actually have to stop every now and then and go, am I allowing just uh, the wrong spirit of religion to come into my life and to come into my thinking? Am I allowing a harshness to come into my life? Am I allowing things to bind me up and not actually set me free? Am I allowing, am I allowing stuff to, that just to irritate me that shouldn't irritate me anymore? Am I allowing the things that God wants to do to be actually become the stumbling blocks for me? Because I find God's at work. And sometimes the stuff God does, if you look through the Bible, takes people by surprise. And when he takes people by surprise, we need to get back with the program. And the reason it takes people by surprise is because God actually loves to bring life and celebration. Our lives are meant to be all about life. Jesus said he's come to give us life and life in all of its abundance. It's about life. Church is about life. The people of God are meant to be about life. I I don't like it when the media portrays us as, oh yeah, they're those religious people on the hill. I don't want to be the religious person on the hill. I want to be the one that embraces people. I want to be the one that, that puts my reputation out there to love people because that's that's actually what the father's really all like. So I don't want to be like the younger brother. And I don't want to be like the older brother. I want to do the attitudes adjustment in my life so that I can live with the blessing of God and then the, the, the amazing things that God wants to do in and through and around my life. I want to be in line with that. I want to allow that to happen. And I suspect and I can think, I feel like you do too. So we actually have to make choices to renew our thinking, to change our thinking and to not allow that spirit to be a part of us and to reject it and to actively work against it so that freedom and life actually surrounds us, so that we become attractive to people in every area of life, so that we truly 
represent the God of heaven whom we serve and who we're called to be like. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that by ourselves we're not real good at this. I thank you, God, that you didn't have any other options, but you actually chose us because you loved us. And it's hard for us to get our mind around the fact that you actually are so in love with us. It's hard for us sometimes to actually get our mind around the fact that you want to bless us, that you want to cause our life to increase and you want us to be a blessing. It's hard for us to recognize because sometimes situation and circumstance actually doesn't appear like that. But when we step back and see through what you are doing and recognize it over the process of life, you, Lord, want to bless us. You want to increase us. You want to cause, Lord, your blessing to flow through us and to touch lives all around us. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, that you give us the grace, the mind, the attitude to help us to make the adjustments. Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning about areas where we need to bring into alignment. Speak to us this morning about areas that we need to adjust and and help us to truly be who we are, the people of God, the representatives of Jesus. And I thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in and through our lives and in this community especially. In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, I, just in this last closing minutes, I, I just would, uh, um, I just want to pray for people that maybe have never asked Jesus to come into their life. Or maybe you have and maybe you've been like the prodigal first son who took off, moved out of the blessing of God. Or maybe you've stuck around in church but you've not allowed the Father, heart of God to truly penetrate you and maybe you've been in church but you've never really actually asked Jesus to come into your life and I want to give you an opportunity in this service to do that and to make your peace with God and to cause your life to come back under the blessing of God. It's just a choice we have to make. God's done everything so that we can actually be free. So let me pray for you and then I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer in your own own way allowing Jesus to come into your life. So let me pray for you. Father, I ask that you would speak to people here this morning that need to bring you back into the center of their life. People who, Father, maybe have allowed that spirit of religion to dominate in their life or people who have, who have been like the prodigal son, gone off and done their own thing. Both block the blessing, your blessing off our lives. And so I ask the Holy Spirit, you just give people revelation, give people grace right here, right now. You speak to people that need to make their peace with you. And Lord, as we take the moment to allow that to happen, I pray that there would be a life-changing moment that would take place in your mighty name. In Jesus' name. Now, while our heads are bowed and our eyes still closed, if you need to make that decision, if you feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, all you need to do is simply in your own way, just quietly to yourself, to God, to say, Jesus, forgive me of my past, my wrongs. Then just ask him to come into your life. Simply say, Jesus, come into my life. Then you need to thank him for answering your prayer, for making you brand new on the inside. That your life actually now is beginning a whole new chapter, a whole new beginning. You need to begin to thank him for that recognize that he's for you 
not against you, that he loves you no matter what's going on. And he's building a future for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, just look at me. One last thought. You know, when the prodigal son came back, he'd lost everything. You know what the amazing thing is? Is that the father was actually a father of restoring. A father who built a new future for that son. A father who actually built a new inheritance for that son. A father who would take that son on a new journey of life. And all of us need to remember, no matter what our mistakes are, no matter what our past is, God is building a future. God's always got a future in mind for us. The Bible says for good and not for evil, to give us a future and a hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you.